Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Encountering Christ by Pastor Sean Wood. Let us pray before we come around God's Word. Father, we thank you that you are always speaking. And so my prayer this morning is that you would use this rugged old donkey and speak this morning, I pray. I pray that you would keep me from error. I pray that your word would go forth because I know, as we will see in today's scripture, one word from Jesus can change and transform our lives. I pray that this morning would be deposited in people's hearts. In your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Uh, if you've met me in John chapter 5, we're going to talk about the man and the, and the healing at the pool. But uh, this morning, uh, isn't it interesting, we live in an enormously superstitious world. I'm going to kind of unpack what I mean by that. Uh, but uh, I know when I played football, uh, the guys had these weird and wonderful routines that they would follow every Saturday. Uh, and what they were trying to do with these routines, I mean, I knew guys that wore the same pair of underpants. I knew guys that wore the same boots, uh, socks, you know, because they were superstitious about, we have to do all of this to make sure that everything goes well out on the field. FYI, it didn't always work. Apparently, uh, superstition doesn't always seem to, to kind of work. Uh, and I knew, I knew guys that wouldn't, wouldn't wear certain numbers when they were playing football. And, and if you want to transfer that into the fishing world, man, it goes bananas when you get into the fishing world. Uh, uh, there is, uh, in Queensland in particular, uh, there is this kind of mojo, you do not bring bananas on your boat because that's bad luck, apparently. I don't know why. And how many, how many people on the outside looking in go, man, that's crazy. <laughs> What's bananas going to do to affect the fishing? But uh, I know fishermen that won't eat bananas on the day they go fishing. I know fishermen that won't take bananas on their boat. I know fishermen that say if you catch a fish in the first cast, it means bad luck for the rest of the day. And you can rattle off superstition after superstition. If we were to travel the globe right now, and if you were able to get a snapshot of the world's religions and, and the superstition that surrounds the Buddhists and, and flinging wheels and prayer wheels and the superstition that surrounds the Hindus and, and the spirits that... By the way, uh, pantheistic religion, uh, I think at last count, has 3.3 million gods. Try keeping those happy. They believe that there is a God that is applied to almost everything. Unbelievable. And they have enormous superstition that surrounds that. Uh, some months ago, uh, myself and Levi were going fishing. We went through Macca's drive through uh, to get a coffee on the way through. Yes, it's generic, but we had to. It was the time of morning, list. But we, we got a cup of coffee. As we're coming out of the drive through uh, there is a, a man of Middle Eastern descent that has is kneeling down next to his car on a rug, certain direction, certain time of the day, all following superstitious patterns. When we unpack superstition, uh, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up formulas, we're trying to set up routines so that we can control the outcomes. Muslims believe that if they pray at a certain time in the day in a certain direction, etc., 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 that they will they believe if they follow this, do this. There are there are Muslims that are in the Middle East that walk miles to get to the mosque or whatever they call it to get to the mosque why because they believe that they need to that their good efforts need to outweigh their bad efforts so that they can superstitiously enter heaven and we know some of the extremists and some of the superstitions that they have but we're all trying to control the outcomes and i was thinking about this and the reality is that the christian landscape and church isn't void of this either 
I'm going to kind of throw a few... I'm glad the crowd's low this morning because I may not get into as much trouble as I thought I was going to get into. But I may, I may, get into, I may still get into a little bit of trouble this morning. I, I believe that we all have religious superstitions. We, have, we could transfer this. Uh, I, I don't like to kind of bag on anyone in particular, but if you walk into a Catholic church, you will find that they operate under an enormous amount of superstition. Lighting candles, rosemary beads, all these kinds of things. It flows into their religious practice. They have superstitions that surround routines. They believe they can control outcomes. And, and, and if we are honest with ourselves, it has flowed into Pentecostal circles as well. It sounds a little bit like this today. It's gone crazy across the globe, but it sounds a little bit like this. If you just have enough faith, then you can have whatever you want. You just need to have enough faith. And it might even sound like this. Uh, this, this sounds really good, that, that if we just maintain positive confession, if you just say all the right things in all the right way at all the right times, then you can call into existence things into your life. Here's where I start to get into trouble. Uh, when I read my Bible, there is only one person in the universe that can call things that are not as though they were, and that is God. And the, the, the reality behind some of this teaching, the name it, claim it teaching, the prosperity gospel teaching, the problem is they're trying to do an exchange where superstitiously we're trying to control the outcomes and we want to step into the place of God this morning. We, we, we set up formulas. We set up patterns which means, you know what, we can control God. God moves according to our bidding. We're trying to have a... If I have enough faith, God has to do what I... If, if, if I uh, let me be categorically clear this morning so nobody misinterprets what I'm saying. Uh, there are power in your words. You can build people up and you can tear people down with your words. There are power. There is power in your words. But you don't have the power to call a house into being. That six-bedroom mansion that you think you need... You don't have the power to... That new Mercedes that you've drove past the car, you, you don't have the power to call that into being. And that transfers into encountering God. Many people think that they can control outcomes. And I, I, I want to put that to bed this morning because I believe that holds us back from encountering the power of God. So before you press send on that email, I pray that you bear with me because we're going to... We're going to meet a man this morning that's enormously superstitious. And how Jesus transforms. Now let's, let's begin with where John begins. A couple of disclaimers as we're working our way through this. First thing, uh, this guy we're going to find out. <laughs> uh, I remember when I did preach through the Gospel of John, I have preached through this Gospel here. And when I did, I actually I kind of bunny hopped this particular passage, because I don't actually particularly like this guy. <laughs> uh, the reason is, uh, he encounters Christ in a miraculous, powerful way, but he's enormously treacherous and ungrateful. We'll see that by the time we're finished here today. John, as he always does, begins to paint the scene, and uh, uh, some things we need to know about the Gospel of John. First thing, you will not find the word miracle in the Gospel of John. John as he is working his way through. He heralds seven miracles that do happen, but he doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. 
And this morning, I want to save you the time of going through your Gospels. I want to save you the time of pouring through the Scriptures because I've already done it. Over the last 12 to 18 months, I have meticulously gone through every miracle in the Gospels, every account, every time, the double ups, I've pulled it all apart, I've looked at everything, trying to find patterns that might exist. And I want to tell you categorically this morning, there is no pattern. There are some familiarities, we'll touch on them today, but there's no patterns. Let me kind of debunk what I'm trying to say in a moment. But what I mean by that is... When you look at the miracles, there are times when people had enormous faith and there are times when people had no faith. Reality. There are times when people miraculously encounter Christ and they cry out to him and there are other times when they don't even look at him as we will see today and Jesus approaches them. Wow. We're going to see that uh, it didn't matter whether you were a in covenant relationship with God. Why? Because Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion, a Gentile. In fact, Jesus would say of that Roman centurion, uh, amongst all of Israel, I've not found faith like this guy. Some people were healed in response to faith. Other people were healed at the initiative of Christ, as we will see. And uh, some of the familiarities, what... What familiarities do we find? This, uh, every person that encountered Christ, it was a complete and utter act of God's grace and God's mercy. And I say that today because we should be able, we should expect and be confident that we can encounter the supernatural power of Christ in our lives. But heads up, as we work our way through this passage this morning, it's not always the way you've got it mapped out. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. We don't know which feast it was, but John is setting the scene. It's likely the Passover feast, which means this is Jesus' second visit uh, to Jerusalem. And this, uh, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which is interesting because Bethesda means, Bethesda is the correct, uh, there are three interpretations given for the word, but Bethesda is the correct word and the meaning of Bethesda is house of outpouring or house of mercy. Jesus didn't do anything by accident. It's not an accident that Jesus would walk into a place that is considered to be the house of outpouring and that a man will encounter him there. This is not an accident. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, two pools, trapezoidal in kind of shape, little entrance in in the north corner of Jerusalem. And in these, verse 3, John is setting the scene here, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame and paralysed. I don't know whether anybody else has picked up on it yet, but if you're reading the ESV version and some other versions, you'll notice there's no verse 4 in your Bible. Thank you, Robin, for checking me. (laughs) Uh, The reason there's no verse 4 is the NIV will often insert uh, a verse 4 there, and the verse 4 is an explanation for why they are at the pool. Uh, the superstition that surrounds why the fact that this place is full of uh, invalids. Let me give you that explanation. It's not in the earliest manuscript. That's why it's missed out. But let me give you that explanation. They are, they are congregated here because rumour has it that uh, randomly and chaotically uh, an angel of God will come down and stir the waters of Bethesda. And if you manage to be one of the first into the pools, it's likely that you're going to receive healing. 
This is not uncommon in the ancient world. Uh, There were many healing shrines. There was much superstition that surrounded places, statues, etc. But the reality is that likely something has happened here. Somewhere in the past, something has happened here for people to be congregating. Jesus walks into a, a multitude, multitude of people in a desperate, desperate condition. And whilst they are congregated around the pools of Bethesda, so often I wonder whether we also superstitiously sometimes, in an attempt to control the outcomes, gather around pools that we might be by chance healed. And now these things may not be bad in themselves, but I want to challenge what it is that we place our trust and our confidence in this morning. It's not a bad thing to go to doctors. It's not a bad thing to to go to counsellors and stuff. But I know people who have been going to counsellors week after week after week after week after week, and they're no better than when they first started going because there's a root problem here. And my hope and my prayer today is that everybody that is listening to me will move away from the pools and grab hold of the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings transformation. As John is painting the scene, I wonder if we can imagine for a moment that uh, what a multitude of invalids might look like. Imagine the scene that Jesus walks into. Imagine the desperation. Imagine the desperation you have when you will camp by a pool in case the water is stirred up. Uh, From a physical standpoint, if you want to remove from the outside looking in, many people said, well, these pools were fed by natural springs, so the stirring was probably just bubbling up from springs. But whatever it was, it meant that these people... But imagine the desperation that you would abandon everything. Maybe, Maybe these people didn't have any other choice. But we live in a community right now. I I, I go to gym with people. I I interact with people at the supermarket. I'm talking to people out and about that I can see also inside of church walls. I'm encountering people that are lined up in in exactly the same desperate situation. We may not be blind. We may not be lame. We may not be paralysed. You may be here this morning and listening to me and going, you know what, physically I feel great. But the reality is maybe, maybe you need to encounter Christ powerfully in your marriage. Just hold on to this for a moment as we work our way through uh, the story. Maybe you're here and you need an encounter of Christ in your finances, in relationships, in your working life. Maybe you're here and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I am tired of struggling with this sin. I need an encounter of Christ to set me free. Maybe that's where you find yourself desperate at the pools of this world. And I I, I want to encourage you to grab hold of the difference it makes when Jesus enters the scene. Verse 5, which we got to very quickly. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, which is amazing. In the ancient world, just as a digression, it might be interesting to know that the life expectancy of a male in first century Jerusalem was about 40 40 or early 40s. So that's, you know, I'd have 10 or so years to go, Liz, if that was, yes, thank you for, thank you for, yeah, he's too, yes. (laughs) Superstition, all right. Uh, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, that word knew, that word know, that word uh, is is now, it's a supernatural knowledge that Jesus has of this man. 
Interesting, uh, I love this about Christ. We think that we sort of escape God's radar. I want you to know this morning, you don't escape God's radar. This man has not escaped God's radar. Whatever condition you find yourself in this morning, you have not escaped God's radar. He sees. Ask Nathaniel in chapter 1. Uh, Philip comes and says to Nathaniel, come and meet a man who must be the Messiah. <laughs> Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of, uh, out of Nazareth? <laughs> yeah. It's like saying, can anything good come from the north side? Of course not. But, what, oh, but when Nathaniel comes, Jesus says, oh, here's a man in whom there is no God. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And he says, before Philip called you while you were under the fig tree, and he says, falls to his knees and says, you are the Saviour, you are the Messiah. Wow. This one man who had been an invalid for 38 years, his condition was desperate. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? How many of us have just read that and gone, what a stupid question? How many of us maybe just read that and thought to ourselves, why would Jesus even ask him that question? Do, do you want to be healed? Doesn't that sound like a no-brainer? This guy's been an invalid for 38 years. Why would you? Something, uh, I'll cover it again because it's important. Whenever you're reading through Scripture, you will find there are moments in Scripture when God asks people questions. Whenever he does that, he's not looking for information. He's not, it's not like, hey, I don't know. It's, it's like when Jesus says, who do everybody say that I am? Matthew chapter 16. It's not like he needed to be affirmed for a moment. It's not like, hey, kind of pump me up here, guys. Uh, then he moves to Peter and says, but who do you say that I am? Uh, Jesus already knows the answer to that question. He wants Peter to answer the question because it opens up his heart. It's interesting because after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, one thing I noticed there, by the way, just as a digression, Notice that sin enters the world, man rebels, you know, nothing changed on God's side. It says that God came down in the cool of the evening just as, just as was his custom. But he couldn't find Adam. Adam was hiding in the bushes. And then God says to Adam, you know what? Where are you, Adam? And it's not like, hang on a second, where did I put that guy? No, that's not what happened. God wanted Adam to know where he was. Why? Why are you hiding in the bushes? What's happened? And as is customary, Adam says, well, the woman you gave me, we won't go down that road this morning. But Jesus has a question for this man, and what might be the answer? What might be the intention here? Do you want to be healed? And what we see in the answer for a moment, the, the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. The, the answer categorically is we can see from both the answer he gives to Jesus and his intention of being there, he actually physically wants to be healed. What Jesus wants to expose in him is his inability to be able to do it on his own. You see, we, we have formed theology and doctrine. I tell you, prosperity gospel books, they're racing off the shelves at Quran. They're racing off the shelves. This hyper-grace rubbish that's floating around the planet, those books, if you want to sell books today, just write something like that because everybody loves it. The, there was a book on the New York Times bestsellers list that was there for almost 12 months. It was a book by Rob Bell. You should know this book. A universalist. What that means is he thinks that everybody somehow makes their way to heaven, that there is no hell, there is no eternal punishment. And the book was called Love Wins and it raced off the shelves. They couldn't get enough of it. Because everybody wants 
the quick fix. Everybody wants to be able to control the outcomes. Everybody wants a theology and a doctrine that means, you know what, I can have what I want, when I want, how I want. What we're going to see with this man is Jesus exposes him with this question and he sees his desperate need. Have a listen to his answer. I love his answer. How many of us would probably answer like this? Probably most of us. Do you want to be healed? Well, the sick man said, well, hang on, sir. I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up and and, and while I'm going, another one steps down before me and beats me there. And how many of us would be answering like this man right now? You know, what this man does not need right now, he does not need somebody to give him a lift into the pool. He does not need an angel to come down and stir the waters. He does not need any of that. He doesn't need to be the first. He doesn't need to be the last. He needs to recognise who it is that is standing before him right now because there is one that can transform his condition and it's not the pool and it's not somebody carrying him down there. But how many of us have got an answer like that? How many of us, uh, this man has clearly, in his answer, he has clearly declared, yes, I want to be healed and I cannot see how that is even possible. I want to be made well, yes, but I've got no one to carry me down. I've got, when the pool, everybody beats me down there. I can't even roll quick enough to get down there. But how many of us would answer like that? How many of us, if you were sitting here today and I said, do you want to have a harmonious and whole marriage? How many of us would answer, yeah, I'd love that, but I don't know what you're going to do about him or, or I don't know what you're going to do about her. To kind of, would you like to encounter Christ today in your finances? Yes, but I've been to the bank and they won't lend me any money. Would you like to be made well in your physical body? Well, I went to the doctor the other day and you know what he said? I don't care what he said today. Right here, right now, today, I don't care what the doctor says, what the bank says, what your marriage counsellor says. The most important thing is, what does Jesus say? We try to work it out, don't we? This guy's got a plan. Yeah, I need to encounter God, but this is how God has to move. He has to bring someone to... How many of us have got it mapped out like that? I'll share a personal story with you that kind of correlates with this. Uh, For many here, you may know that uh, years ago I used to smoke. In fact, I used to love having a cigarette. I remember when I was in the forestry, I had guys, 20 guys, some of them really rough and tumble guys, but uh, I can remember these guys saying to me one day, they go, you know what, we've noticed you smoke a lot. Why don't you give up? And I said, you know what, I said, if I stop smoking... I said, all of us are on the six o'clock news. I said, the fact that I smoke means you guys get to the end of the day. And so it had become a pretty big problem with me. And I just want to encourage people here, whatever, whatever area you may be struggling in, uh, I know Christians that uh, love Jesus, walk with Jesus for many, many years. Their relationship grows very close, but there comes a moment when God puts his finger on that swearing maybe. Maybe it's time to... Maybe it's time to stop using that language or, or maybe he puts a finger on, you know, maybe it's time to probably put the alcohol over here or, or maybe it's time, Sean, you know, it's enough. You need to put the cigarettes down. I want, to know, I want you to know that before I actually gave up smoking, I tried everything, just like this guy. I'd lined up behind every pool imaginable and I knew that God had put his uh, finger on, uh, on, on smoking in my life because I, 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 I could feel that I wanted to be closer to God, but God was like, you know, if you want to move from this part to this part, you've got to leave some stuff behind. Wait for the Exodus series where you're leaving stuff behind before you... And anyway, that's, a, that's jumping forward. But uh, 
Well, I, I, I so appreciate the love and the patience and the mercy of Christ in this situation. I tried everything. I tried, apart from hypnotherapy, which freaked me out, I tried everything to give up smoking. Tablets, pills, anything. You throw anything at me. All, all, of, the, all of the processes, patches, the whole, whole lot. And in the end, here's what I did. In the end, I came to a point where I said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm helpless here. There, there was a really important place that I had to come to. I just said to God, I'm helpless here. I've tried everything and I can't, I can't give this up. I need you to intervene. I'm, I, I need you to come and supernaturally do something inside of me and take this away from me. I think, that, I think God wanted to bring me to that place. I think I needed to get to that place. I think I needed to get to a place where I said, you know what, I can't fix this. Maybe God needs you to get to a place where you're saying, I can't fix this marriage. Maybe, maybe you, God needs to bring you to a place where you say, you know what, I've tried for years to be free from this and I can't do it on my own. Maybe God needs to bring you to that place. Maybe you've tried every doctor and, 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 and healing and tablets. And I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, but what I'm saying is maybe it's time to give it over to him. And, and the very next thing I did was I said, you know what, I'll give it over to you, Lord. I'm going to do everything in my power I can, but I, I, I feel powerless here and I... I remember I, I had patches on and they never helped. They just meant that I got more out of it when I smoked, but I, I, I put some patches on. And I just turned around after two or three weeks and went, you know what, I don't even feel like I want to smoke. God and God alone took that desire away from me. And I, I was in a position where I needed him. And I felt like I had got to a place where Jesus says, do you actually want to be free from this? You see, what Jesus wants to incite in this young man, young, 38 years is young. Please tell me 38 is young. But uh, what, what Jesus wants to incite is desire. You know, what, what I did see amongst all of the miracles uh, in, in the Gospels is a desire. You, you see things like desperation, like the, like the woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years and she'd been to every physician and she'd not gotten any better, she'd gotten worse. But stick this in your pipe and smoke it this morning. When she saw Jesus and heard that Jesus was in the crowd, Jesus is in the middle of thousands of people and she reaches out and grabs hold of his garments and Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples have gone, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. And he goes, no, no, somebody reached out. That could be you today. sick man answered him, sir, I, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool and when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another one steps down before me, Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk and at once, I love, I love that, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. You know what made the difference here? The difference here was not somebody's giving him a lift to the pool or stirring the waters or an angel or anything like that. The difference here was you don't need some guru, anointed preacher to come and swing his coat and pray over you. You don't need that today. You need one word from Jesus will transform your life. One moment, one word from Christ will transform your life. My hope today is to get your eyes off the pools of the world, to get your eyes off. You don't need the next self-help book. You don't need the next best life coach. What you need is Christ. And the good news is he's available for us all. How wonderful is that? Maybe today's the day that you take up your bed and walk. What does that bed recognise 
and stand for for this young man. It speaks of his need and his desperation. He spent all his life being carried around by other people, but now he will take up his mat and walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is really important. Actually, actually, this miracle was intentional by Jesus. He intentionally does this on the Sabbath. Why? Because he wants not to have an argument, but it exposes the inhibitions within the religious people of that day and it thrusts into a conversation about the equality of Jesus with God, his authority to do and say what he does. And at the end of the chapter, Jesus brings in all the witnesses, his miracles, John, the testimony of the prophets. He brings all of that as a witness to who he is. But now it was on the Sabbath day, so the Jews said to the men, listen to the answer from this man. And he begins to become interrogated by the Jews. It is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me doesn't even know his name. Let's pause for a moment. You've been sitting by a pool for 38 years. You can barely roll to the water's edge, let alone do anything else. Some guy walks in and tells you to take up your bed and walk and by the miraculous supernatural power of an almighty God, you pick up your bed and walk and you don't even know the guy's name. You don't even take the time to ask somebody, who was that? Ungrateful. But he answered them, the man, treachery, plundering Jesus into all of the blame. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Verse 12, they asked him, who is this man? Who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Verse 14, afterward, really important, some people, I just want to clear this up because some people will read this and go, I wonder what Jesus meant by this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. I want to press the pause button because many people are probably going to read that and go, well, hang on a second. What's the go here? The reality is that, uh, and I kind of want to give you an interpretation of that verse, but also help you and encourage you today, that when God brings you to a place, when God miraculously heals you, and I'm going to use the reference of when God supernaturally intervened for me with smoking, I found something that yes, God had taken that desire away. Yes, God had brought me to a wonderful place where I was free from this, but I had to walk in that. What do I mean by that? I had to maintain that. Since I've given up smoking, have there been days when I felt like having a smoke? You bet your bottom dollar. Does that mean that all of a sudden God's power was mute? No, it meant that God had brought me to a place and I had to walk in it. It's another jumping forward to Exodus thing. When God brings you into the promised land, the battles don't cease. You fight with a different power. And what Jesus is saying to this guy is, uh, you're not only, not only are you not walking in it, you're going backwards and you'll end up in a place worse than you were in the first place. As we finish today, and today is encounter service, and so I want to make space here today. We're going to play Another song, unfortunately we don't have a worship team here this Sunday, but we, we will next week. But If you need prayer, I want to ask you this morning, whatever situation you find yourself in today, let's forget about all the pools of the world for a moment. Let's forget about everything else. Let's get our eyes off all of those other things. Uh, uh, one question that needs to be answered, what was it in this man that, that made him deserving of Jesus? Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. Notice that this man doesn't look at Jesus. He doesn't speak to Jesus. Uh, We don't see any element of supernatural faith that he kind of built up all these faith brownie points. There's no record that for 38 years he'd maintained some kind of positive confession. None of that happened here. He didn't name anything. He didn't claim anything. So what does that mean? It means that there there may not be anything inside of you that you say, Jesus wouldn't touch me. I don't deserve it. Well, neither did he. And neither did anybody else in the Gospels. You might be sitting here today going, you know what, I've struggled with this. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've gone backwards so many times, forwards 10 steps, backwards 12 steps. So many times in my life, God surely wouldn't touch me. Well, this man tells us something enormously different today. This isn't about you. It's about him. It's about how glorious he is. It's about how merciful he is. All the power is with Christ, all the grace is with Christ, but football taught me something. On each and every football field, there's 18 players. Yes, there's more than that fingers holding up. I'm not that Tasmanian. There's more than 10, but there's 18 players on the field. And uh, I noticed that some people get the ball more than others. You ever notice that? Watch football on TV and you'll notice that there's certain... Gary Ablett's and, and stuff like that, they just seem to get the ball. What a coincidence, eh? No. No, it's not coincidence. What I learnt from football and what I do learn when I read the Gospels is this. We are able to position ourselves. You see, these guys, I, I, found, I found the guys that I was playing football with that got the ball all the time, they were able to position themselves to receive. And when I read the Gospels, When I read about Canaanite women and centurions and when I read about this guy here, this treacherous, ungrateful guy here, I say, how come these guys are encountering Christ? Because they position themselves to be open, to be desperate. I want to encourage you today to position yourself. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like, you know what, I've come to the end of myself. You, if you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray with you. The prayer team is here. Uh, if you just want to reach out to Christ in your seat, I firmly believe that he can touch you in your seat today. Let us pray as we conclude this morning. Father, as we sit in your presence this morning, we look away from this world, we look away from trying to work everything out for ourselves and we surrender to you this morning. We position ourselves by surrendering and Lord, I pray that every person in this room would encounter you, Lord God, would encounter your power, would encounter your grace, would encounter greater measures of the Holy Spirit. I pray that every person that will hear this on YouTube, Lord God, that you will touch them in their seats at home. Lord God, I pray for every person in this church right now that has tested positive to COVID, that they will know a touch of God on their lives right now. We are not afraid. We are not anxious because we know the one that can transform. I pray right now that we would be surrendered and desperate, that we would be open and willing. 
for the God of the universe to transform our lives in a moment. In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.